My name is Jan Welch, and welcome to the seventh episode of the Then and Now Blading interview series and podcast with Billy O'Neill. Billy is a longtime professional inline skater who has ridden for such brands as Mind Game, Razors, USD, and SSM. Currently is a co-host of the Jump Street podcast with Austin Paz, and he is a face behind Mesmer Skates. In this interview, we're going to dig deep inside of Mesmer, its origin, how he picked a team. We're going to talk about the skate. We're going to talk about everything you want to know about this company. We're also going to talk about Jump Street. We're going to talk about his drumming, playing in a band with Bellino, and we're going to just talk about his life in general. So if you enjoyed this episode, make sure and hit the like button. Subscribe to this channel if you haven't already, and hit the bell icon to be notified of all new upcoming episodes. And if you want to support this channel, please visit our Patreon page in the link below. I also have a donation button. All Patreon members will receive exclusive content and videos not available on this channel. And make sure to follow me on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all in the description below. Let's get started with this interview with Billy O'Neill. Billy, welcome to the show. Glad Thank to you. have you. Been a Thank fan you. of your skating for a long time, and we've known each other for quite a long time. I believe we met around 2000 when I came to New York for Daily Bread magazine. Mm -hmm. um, and then I went back again. We filmed for the Razors and video, still this video in Staten Island in New York. And that was a lot of fun. Growing up in New York, the city has changed a lot from when you were a kid. Um, it's been very gentrified. What was it like growing up in New York? And just what was the skate scene like compared to how it's become now with the gentrification and the change? Kind of the, from the, on the outside, it looks like the face of skating has changed somewhat throughout the years in New York. As an insider, how do you, what do you, what do you think about that? Um, well, I guess I could uh, answer this question in two different ways and ways how like the gentrification affected in skating and outside of skating, I guess. Um, so outside of skating, um, well, I was born in Brooklyn. I grew up in Staten Island. Um, and so Staten Island is one of the five boroughs of New York, but it's not like the Manhattan, like uh, type hustle bustle kind of borough, but um, I, I think Staten Island is something similar to like, it's a mix between Brooklyn and New Jersey. If anyone wants to has, have an idea, it's like you get like all the New York city things, the New York city cops, the delis, the food, but then there's like some areas that like are a bit suburban. Um, but yeah, we were in the city all the time. I used to go after school every day, uh, go skating in the city, skate all night in high school. And um, I think the city was definitely more free back in the day there was a, a little bit more i don't know that there, there weren't it, it's it's hard to really say and it and without putting it in a negative light but it was like a bit more lawless and a bit more like wild and you know you think those things are bad things and maybe perhaps they are but at that age when we were skating we were just kind of being wild and um not really worried about the consequences to certain things and i don't know new york was just very um, like the old school idea of New York, things were cheap, uh, food was cheap, rent was cheap. Uh, it was it was like a like a city for the people of the city. Um, so I guess the way that changed is after two thousand one, when uh, the World Trade Center was attacked, and uh, Mayor Bloomberg uh, came in after that, and he was like doing a lot with the extra space and trying to like work on the real estate. He's a real estate guy. So he made, he started Williamsburg, Brooklyn and took a lot of that industrial area and started selling it as residential area and refinishing it, redoing it. 
And um, yeah, so people from all over started coming in. So what that did is it took dangerous neighborhoods and it made them safe neighborhoods, but it also made everything a lot more expensive. Rent was a lot more expensive. People in the city who were born and raised in the city were like having trouble being able to afford living in the city. So it, it broke down a lot of those like really old neighborhoods that have been around for, for a really long time. Now, a lot of those, it's a good, it's a good thing and a bad thing in a way. It's hard to say it's all bad or all good. You know, like a lot of those neighborhoods lost their sense of identity and it lost uh, like a lot, a lot of that character that it had. But again, you know, these were neighborhoods that we used to uh, be scared to go. Not all of them, but like, you know, we didn't go to like Bed-Stuy when we were kids. That was like a really rough place. And you know, now you see all kinds of people in Bed-Stuy and you see all kinds of people in Harlem like that you would have never seen 20 years ago. So in, in that way, I think it's a good thing. Like neighborhoods we used to be scared to go to or like, you know, if you're like a single guy, like there's like, you know, tons of bars, there's tons of restaurants, there's lots of mingling around. So it's good for that. But again, like it just made things like really expensive. The cost of living was really high. Natives had to leave and go to Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Florida, things like that. So when, when gentrification first started happening, I, I really hated it, but like now I think it's, it's okay. It's kind of, you know, it's not all bad. Um, and I guess the way that affected the skating scene was it just brought a lot of people um, to move to New York, you know, like Christian Delfino has been there for like over 10 years now. I remember I was giving him a hard time when he first moved and Mike Torres has been there for quite some time now. And they've been like great contributors to the New York city scene and we've adopted them as our own. And even though I'm not in New York city anymore, I always still feel myself as a New York and I always will be, um, you know, despite it is where I live. But so I think those things have positively impacted the skating scene uh, as well. So, yeah. When did you, I know you went out to California as a professional skater when you were still living in New York. When did you move to California first time and what took you there? Well, I was on a tour with Adam Johnson for, he was filming for the video Pariah and we were just in the, uh, oh no, I'm sorry. It was before that. It, I think it was the straight jacket tour or the Vibrolux across America. I'm not even sure what it was called, but it was when he just had everyone in a van and we went from Texas with Be Free and through like Kansas and the coast and to California. And on that trip, um, Bellino and I were in the van and we went through Oakland. And when we went through Oakland, we passed by Chris Daffick's, uh, he, had, he had a loft apartment with uh, Eric Stokely, um, Kyle and Kyle Stokely. Um, so yeah, Kyle Lipka, there was uh, Austin Barrett, I think was there. And they were just like skating a bunch and just like really on top of it. And we went there for like a weekend. And when the tour like was gonna continue on, Daffick was like, oh, you guys can just stay if you want. You know, there's an extra room and then an extra couch. And we was like, okay, cool. So we just stayed and then we needed uh, a job. So we found a job at a medical marijuana dispensary run by, uh, at the time, Dawn Everett's partner. And she was like, oh yeah, let's get these skaters some jobs. So they got us a job. We got the room, we moved into a new place. And that's kind of how the first time I moved to California was in Oakland with those guys like that. And how long were you in Oakland for? I was there for about two and a half years. And then um, like my mom got sick with ALS and then she called and she basically said, well, she was sick for a while, but my brother was there. My little brother, Paul was there taking care of her and stuff. 
she basically called and said my little brother was going to college and she needed someone around to help her so she asked if i could move back to new york so i sold my car sold my drum set quit my job moved back to new york with no plan and ended up uh yeah getting a job uh moving into a place in the bronx and uh being close to family and working for a while yeah so that's 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 what happened well that's really cool of you good son ha yeah i i i i she she was funny because she was actually like a lot of the time she was on uh like like certain drugs that would affect her memory like the painkiller and stuff and i was like you know i'm out here because you asked and she's like did i did i ask and i was like yes you did um so yeah i did that for a while and I guess, I guess I could just talk about how I came full circle back out here. Um, so I was out there for a while, like uh, a few years. And it, it became pretty clear that my mom was going to be like, you know, ALS is a thing, like, it's really strange disease. Like they gave her one to three years to live like 10 years ago. And it's just like, you can, as you see with um, some people like Stephen Hawking, like he was able to live like many years after, but it's just like continues to de debilitate you and deteriorate your body. So I came to a point after helping her for a while and um, I was talking to my stepfather and he was like taking more time off work and stuff. I was like, hey, like I can't be here like indefinitely, like there are other things that I'm wanting to do. And basically it turned out where like my stepfather was like able to take more time off work and able to get someone to go watch her for some days. So. I ended up, um, yeah, with my band, I had a band uh, after the Bronx, I was living in Newark. Um, and then we decided to, we were playing a bunch of shows in New York, but it wasn't many uh, bands like our style. And there's a lot more bands like our style, like in Texas and in California. So we just decided to get over to California and try to get our band out there a little bit, which is a bit of a, <laughs> it's a funny thing to do. But I think we're all just getting tired of like the winter and just the hustle and bustle of the city. I don't know. I've been I've been in that my whole life. And California just looks so attractive to me after like a life of that kind of stuff. So I came back out to California with my band. And then your band broke up eventually. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. We we had a band with uh, it was a three piece with me and Nico Magalles and Connor Barrett, which is Austin Barrett, the artist from Shredweiser, his little brother. And it was called Gypsy Ship. And we did like some shows in New York and Jersey. And then we did it like uh, we played down in Florida and New Orleans and Texas. And then when we came over to California, um, we linked up with Bellino. I'd been playing with Bellino like years prior. We had been jamming for like at least seven or eight years at that point. Just for, for like casually, no projects. Just We would just always like just play. And then when Bellino uh, linked up with us, he started jamming with us a lot. And then we kind of ended that band and we made a four piece with John and we called it Roast. And we were a band for a little while. We did some short circuit uh, tours. We did like some up north, uh, west coast, like Portland, Seattle, NorCal. We did um, some shows that were playing in alignment with by South by Southwest. We went down to... Uh, Austin and played like New Mexico and, and Dallas, things like that. But um, yeah, you know, we, we were kind of on our way up, but being in a band is a really tough thing. Um, you're like have three, if you, it's a four piece band, you have like three girlfriend or boyfriend type figures in there. And that's the kind of relationship that you carry with them. And, you know, sometimes it 
it can just be hard because everyone has a different vision for what they want the music to be, what they want to get out of the band. And sometimes those visions can intersect and cause conflict. And yeah, so I think that was what was happening. People were, were kind of getting a little older and people were kind of wanting different things out of the band. And it just, yeah, we just broke up, split up like that. I saw you guys play in Austin during South by Southwest when you guys did the Spider House showcase. Yeah. And that was a lot of fun. And I thought you guys came through two times, maybe. Yeah, we played Spider House twice. Yep. Yeah. So I saw you both times. One time you guys came to Rob Zabranek's house and mm -hmm. hung out. That's right. Yeah. It was a lot of fun seeing you guys there. And Spider House was a really cool venue for you guys to play at, too. Yeah. So playing with Bellino for, for so long, and you said there was some conflict. Did you guys have a conflict in the band? at all yeah uh, uh, yeah I, I could be open about this um i think the conflict mainly lied between nico and myself we were really good as a three-piece um like no problems but then when when john came in to the band it was like two guitars and they were like trying to go with the each one had both strong personalities and they were like trying to push the direction of the music like nico was playing like a bit heavier like sludgier and nico and uh john was playing a little more dynamically rock and rolly and so like i was kind of siding with jo pushing john's style more on the band and like i also pushed to bring john into the band so like nico who felt like he was like higher in the band as his guitarist he was like starting to lose his status because i would always back john so um we butted heads quite frequently and we just had different um personalities nico and i so we we butt heads quite frequently and i would, I was just like many times i'd be like dude i'm over this and um but it got to a point where yeah i i basically just uh got into it with nico and nico's like pretty much was like i'm not doing this anymore and nico i mean john and connor were kind of just on the outside like not inter like intervening in any way so it was like between me and nico Kind of going and going at it and they i got I, I gotta be honest i got mad at at both of them for not like saying anything or defending me for a while or or doing anything uh in that process um so yeah basically i, I got mad at all of them for a while um me and nico didn't talk for a while like maybe a year and then we had an interaction when i went up to portland to see daffic and we made good on everything um john we we made good, but it wasn't like we weren't really close, like that close, close. I was just like, uh, we went from being really close to being like, uh, yeah, whatever. Like you're just like a acquaintance kind of friend. There was pain there, you know? And after the, the split, I was just like, yeah, I'm, I'm, like, I'm kind of over that. Like in the music, it took a lot out of me to, you know, you put a lot of yourself in this music and skating, whatever. But like in this project to put a lot of, work in and you know there was a lot of yeah it was a lot of emotion there and stuff like maybe anger and frustration and sounds very familiar to the like the whole rat tail situation almost yeah i mean i mean these these things are like really similar uh with with uh with all that like all these human universals but yeah and me and john were just like kind of eh, like not really close or not really good friends for a while maybe like um a while because i went back to new york I went back to New York with Corey, my partner, and we, I went back for like a while and she did not like it. So I ended up coming back. And during that year and a half, I was in New York. I really didn't interact with John or Nico or anyone that much. And then when I came back out to California, um, 
John had f- just finished being in his band Death Chant. He was in Death Chant for a while. They were, there was also a conflict there because John was in another band while we we're in Roast and he was putting more energy into this band for whatever reason. I, like they were like more notable musicians from LA and like it's a, maybe a better road to the top if you wanna make it as, as a musician. So he was putting more into that which created some resentment from our end. And so he got into that fully um and then when i came back he had like just quit that band because i guess that band was i don't know it was toxic as john would describe and john was like reaching out to me when i came out here like yo like we gotta like have this talk we gotta have this sit down powwow so he just like uh i was like all right man like i'm open for it so he just came by my house with the intention of just like drinking a bunch of beer and like getting through every issue that we had and and he came over and drank a bunch of beer and we went through every issue that we had and you know told each other that we you know we love each other you know um we gave each other hugs like and we're just like all right let's put that past behind us and move forward and he at that point started getting back into skating from because the death chant thing kind of took him away from it for a while because it's really hard to to balance both you know you put everything into one thing at a time i think and um so yeah, he was wanting to get back into skating and then we just started like rebuilding our friendship from there. And it was uh, it was cool because that was something, you know, John's always meant like a lot to me as a friend. So it was like really shitty for everything to like the band to fall apart that way and then have it affect our friendship. But it was cool that he made the effort to, to fix it. And I was like wanting to do that as well, but I kind of had to be ready for when he was ready, you know, but it was cool. Yeah, I'm glad you guys made it up, came back together, and now you're both, you know, with Mesmer Project. Super yeah. cool. Hopefully you guys don't have a uh, another fallout in the future, but uh, I, I doubt it's not so. with skating. Um, it's yeah. a little, but I wasn't, you know, you had mentioned that John had quit skating for- Music can get, music can get, I don't mean to interrupt, but music can get a little confusing versus skating. Like skating's really wholesome. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, music can have all these other elements in it that like might affect your psychological state of mind like that uh you know there's a lot of drinking there's like a lot of partying there's like a lot of like uh you know there's ego there there, you're you're trying to like uh, you know there's all these things that are just not as pure as what skating is so it that has an effect on everything so uh yeah i hope john and i don't have a falling out either but i don't see that happening and even if we do um which i don't think it's i think it's at the point where where we both like all right dude like we're bros like and sometimes bros fight and sometimes bros don't get along but we're just bros and it's like that's how it is so right well i'm sure everything's gonna work out great i'm really excited about mesmer i've told you that many times so very stoked that you guys are all together and on this project. And you said that John, you know, I knew he quit skating for a while while he was playing music. Did you step back from skating at all during your music career? Yeah, see, for me, it was uh, different. And uh, the Shredweiser guys can can uh, can tell you that there was a point uh, during like the later years, like after I filmed my SSM part and I was working on filming another part, I dislocated my shoulder pretty badly, um, just skating like some like 20 stair down rail. And just on the way down, I just grabbed it and it came out and super painful. Went to the hospital, had them put it back in, but it became really sensitive for like two years. 
So it was crazy. Like if I sneezed, it would come out. Like if I like try to jump a set of stairs and like I reached out to touch the floor, it would come out and cause extreme pain. So I was like trying to force skating during this time for like a year. And I'd be like, oh, cool. Like, let me just skate, try to take it easy. Okay, cool. I had like a good session where I didn't dislocate my arm in the session. Nice. Next session I would. And it just seemed like it was always getting worse. And my injuries were just stacking up. So what kind of happened with me, there was never like a conscious, like I'm done with skating. It just became something that was like, I just couldn't do anymore. And I was just like, it, my shoulder was just getting in the way of it for a while. So I'd say there's probably like, maybe like a year there where I, like I would, I skated in the year, but I didn't skate. I kind of much, I kind of pretty much like accepted that like my best days were behind me. I wasn't going to be able to like be film skating. Um, I was just going to like be able to skate for fun casually if my body allowed me and i kind of just had to like let go of like all me being attached with skating in terms of the industry in my mind and i was just like yeah i'm not i'm just i'm not going to be able to like my body's not letting me like i was going to doctors and should i get a surgery they're like oh yeah you want to avoid surgery because i could mess your so i was just like in this really weird limbo place um and then during that time like maybe a year and a half Miguel Ramos would like come by the house and he'd be like, come on, like, let's go skate. He was living in Tehachapi and he would come by our place in downtown LA. He would spend the weekend so he could skate like with other people throughout the week because Tehachapi is like three hours away at Woodward West. And um, he would stay with us and be like, I'm going to go skating today. You guys want to come? And then I'd be like, no, I can't. Like my shoulder is bad. He'd be like, come on, let's go. Come on, just try, just roll around. I'd be like, fine. And then we'd go, we'd skate. And then like, I'd have like a good skate day, you know? Uh, I'd be like, oh, nice. Maybe I could, I, th I think, I think what had happened was I took like a year where I just like rested it. And then like, I would go skate and be like, oh, I have a good skate day. And then I, he would keep pushing me to skate and I would just, it wouldn't dislocate and it's just better. It's strange. It's hard, it's hard to describe, but I needed like a year of just like me not doing it to like, for it to stop coming out of my shoulder. I don't know. It was really, it was a really weird process. But at that, at that point, I was like, kind of like, yeah, I'm not, I'm, I can't, I just can't do this. And he kept pushing me and I would go out and I'd have fun. And I was like, oh, I love this. Like, this is cool. But um, I, I, I wasn't sure what I would be able to do again. I don't know. It's, it's really weird psychologically, like going through all that because, you know, skating is and was everything in my life for so long. And it's like, at times just going, it could be like a really passionate relationship that you might have with your partner that has like, um, you know, there's so much emotion attached to it and like so much like uh, upset and let down and, and also positive things. But like me being like, I'm not going to be able to do this for a while, like, or ever again, like how I used to, that was like, that was hard for me. Like, do you know what I mean? I was, I had to be like, it wasn't just like, oh man, like I'm done with this shit now. It was like, I was trying to find it like a way and I couldn't. And I was just like, God fucking damn it. Like this sucks. Like, um, and then I was just like, I guess I was able to find some like refuge in music. Like be like, well, at least I could be expressive and play and like put my passion into something here. And maybe playing as drumming helped my shoulder throughout the years, strengthen it or I don't know. But um, I was able to, yeah, all, like 
the, the shredder washer guys will tell you like I, I could just I, I could go to a spot and just touch the floor and boom come out and it was I would be screaming in pain but that sounds terrible yeah it sucked yeah I was still gonna say I mean you were drumming during that period and drumming's a pretty physical activity yeah and has that had an effect on your body at all you know when I started getting like deeper and deeper into the drumming um I was starting to get like some like hand issues like you know because I was just like just using like this a lot you know and I think I'm prone to like some like arthritic problems in the future just from like the years of impact and skating you know that's what that's what my doctors have told me I'm also like I have like I, other things that um, make me prone to like arthritic things in the future. So like, I was starting to feel some some problems in my hands because I was like, I took like that skating passion and I put it into music and I was just like playing all the time, like as much as I can. So I was maybe kind of overdoing it, but um, no, other than that, not really, you know, um, that, that's, that's a crazy thing. <laughs> you know, you learn from, if you if you've gone on any skating trips or tours and then music tours it's like night and day like skating tours kill your body <laughs> just kill your body like we would just like get up early skate all day beat the crap out of yourself eat whatever garbage like probably drink at night and wake up and do it again you know music you just you wait to play for like an hour at like 9 p.m and you just chilled the whole day. <laughs> and then you're just like, all right, cool. I'm going to go play for like an hour. You go, you move the gear in, you set it up, do sound check, you sit down, you play. Um, people are very receptive to your music. Unlike, you know, when you're skating spots and getting kicked out and all these places, everyone's happy to have you there at, at the music. And then, you know, and then, and then you're done. So it's uh, music is uh, like a joke in comparison to like skate tours, skate tours are so hard. Like they're just physically exhausting and rough, but yeah, music's easy. I mean, I wouldn't say like the, the, the playing of it, the discipline is, is, is hard as, as hard as you want it to be. But I mean, like the, as far as like gigging and traveling and playing compared to skating, it's, it's, it's not physically tough and it doesn't hurt you like that. Are you still playing music? No, I haven't in, I mean, I keep, I keep a guitar around. I keep some drumsticks around. I put the sticks in my hand every day and, play on like the pad or something like that but in terms of like a project no um Belino and I are talking about doing something again because we actually like at some point have to get a warehouse for Mesmer to keep the skates like at the moment we're just going to use a storage facility um but we're like really looking forward to getting a warehouse so we could start playing again because that's the like I mean I think he's similar to me in the way where he's very extreme. So like he, when he got back into skating, he was just like, I'm into skating again. And just like, wasn't really playing much music. Um, when I stopped playing music, I stopped it because I, uh, roast broke up. I sold my drum set and I moved to New York and it's hard to play in New York. I was playing, I was jamming with some like friends in a funk band over there. We've jammed a few times and I, Brian Bina came by and we were like jamming for a little while. So I was still playing, but uh, it was just like casually and for fun. But uh, yeah, Bellino got like really heavy into skating again and just kind of put music to the side. And just like the past month or two, he's like really been wanting to play again. He's cause he had like a cast on his wrist for, for months and he got it off and he was able to play guitar again. He's like, Oh, I really love this. And then 
he's like, man, I can't wait to get the warehouse so we could all jam again. So, um, and a lot of the guys on Mesmer play, play music. Uh, Lewis plays music. Jimmy plays music. Um, Levy is uh, getting started and playing guitar. And so it's like, it would be cool to have a space for all of us to kind of jam and have that be tied into skating. You know what I mean? So it's like kind of connect the worlds. It's very similar to, you know, with Rattail. I don't know if you ever went to Rattail Warehouses, but we had oh, yeah. practice spaces at both locations. Yeah, I played and, at, you know, I played on Dustin's drum set before. Okay, yeah. And yeah. everyone played, you know, it was involved with Rattail pretty much except me. Um, but I think it's pretty rad because you guys are actually in band projects prior to Mesmer. So you can actually create your own soundtracks if you wanted and get on Netflix, you know, or easier. Yeah, no, I mean, Netflix, that, <laughs> that's something we haven't thought of. Um, I am working on a documentary with JP from Butter TV. Um, JP is amazing. He's great. And I think we're going to do something really special because it's just a story that I feel like needs to be told. So hopefully we, we, we really work hard on this and it comes to fruition and uh, everything comes out as I see it, uh, as we see it. But um, yeah, I haven't thought about Netflix yet. Yes, we have thought about like maybe soundtracking our own stuff, but we want to be careful because um, not everyone on the team has our same sense of music. And one thing we wanted to be careful about is uh, we didn't want to, you know, when we came out and no disrespect to the gods, no disrespect to anyone, but people were like, yeah, it's like, it's like NIM 2.0. It's like SSM 2.0. Oh man. It's like, it's a rocker company. Sick. We need another rocker company. And I'm like, I just, and it might be hard because of who we are, but I'm hopefully throughout as, as we exist and we put out stuff, we can really make the distinction of ourselves, not really being a rocker company. Um, there are some rockers people on the team, but there are, you know, you look at Dom Bruce, um, you look at some of our AMs who I haven't even had the opportunity to announce and um, they're just in their own lane and very different to that. So uh, it's tough, it's tough to make that distinction, but it's something that we're trying to make. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I've always been looked up to Brian Bean of Haitian Magazine, how he's, the, the past few uh, videos he's done, he's done Cusco and then he's done the Tenerife video with Cheda. Um, and uh, b both of those videos, he had like completely original music. He had uh, Anthony Marchione work on the the one where they went to uh, in Peru. And then I think he had like Zathan uh, Stewart work on the one to Echeda for Tenerife. And he makes music as well. And it's, I, I, re I really like that everything nowadays, you know, it wasn't this way when I was younger, when we met you know, 21 years ago, but everything nowadays, um, there's so much talent in, in the blading community that you really don't have to leave it if you don't want to, to find things like music, art, um, web design, like uh, photography, videography, editing. Like we have so many talented people within our circle now. It's, it's, pretty, it's, pretty, uh, it's pretty amazing. That being said, uh, our new video, uh, Rising, which is coming out on monday and we have some premieres for it this weekend by the time this podcast come out it will have already it'll it's out so check so check it out but um that we didn't use any original music on that but i think this project was meant to be and we filmed for like three weeks to like say hey we're a company you know what i mean like we we, we didn't like put the work in that we wanted uh to put in and in terms of like the soundtrack and 
and uh, all that like little back end stuff, you know, it was like, uh, we, it was like against time because we wanted to get the jump on like announcing who we were before releasing any sort of clip. So um, that being said, I think it's one of the best videos. I, I think it's great. John Bellino along with Levy. I think Levy is up for section of the year with plastic pushers too. I think Dominic is up for section of the years with fifth floor. And I think John Bellino also is a contender for section of the year in rising. Um, so, Hey, can you go? I'm sorry, my dog keeps bothering bothering me. Um, but yeah. And who made the video? Who who edited it together? Mark. 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 Awesome. Mark. Yeah. Mark is a wizard. Um, yeah. I'm really sorry. excited to see the video and he's done a really good job. I know he's handling some of the artistic side of Mesmer, and he's done a really good job with yeah. all of that for sure. Um, we would be nothing without Mark. And 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 it's it's so funny. Um and I, 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 at some point, I'm sure we'll get into the Inception story. But when we added Mark, uh, when me and John decided that we needed Mark on the team, we didn't, we didn't even think about all the extra stuff he brought. We just thought about him as a skater. We're like, Mark, we need Mark as a skater. And then we had him on and we're like, oh yeah, like you're all of these things that we didn't know. You're a graphic designer, you're an, you're an editor, you do animation, you do all these incredible things that so it's just like an unintended consequence that ended up being extremely beneficial for the brand and he's he's had a huge part in making this brand what it is so before adding mark then did you have a plan for the artistic side or were you just going to wing it <laughs> i feel like th i feel like this leads into like the inception story yeah let's uh so let's talk about mesmer how it began um how you approach matthias to you know, initially, um, or if he approached you, I'm not sure which way it went. And, uh, and whose idea was the whole brand to begin with? So this is a very fascinating story, I think, the, to how we got here. Um, well, for obviously, I think a lot of people's young dream is to want to own a skate company. It was certainly mine. Um, I watched, you know, John Julio with Valo and Brian Shima with SSM and I was working with Create Originals and I just saw that as the next step for me at some points. Like, well, I just wanted it to be that. Um, and then like somewhere along the way, I was like, well, maybe like during that time I was wanting that for myself. But then somewhere along the way, I was like, well, maybe skating is something that never makes sense financially, something that never works. And it's just like our tribe, something that we share and it's here for enjoyment. And that's not in the cards for me. At some point I came to that thought um and then okay so last year 2020 in october i'm gonna not say which company this was from but i was approached by a company to work with them and and kind of spearhead a brand and and be and be a part of this company and it, and it was they they basically saw value in me as not only the the skater that i was or had been but as like a member of the skate media with jump street and and a contributor in that way so i had thought about the offer made and i turned it down um but then i got to thinking oh well maybe the value that they see is there and maybe i could start something with John. Um, during At the time, John Bellino was just getting back into skating, filming VODs and trying to figure out where he belonged 
in skating. He just knew he wanted to be a part of it again, but didn't know where to go. Like, you know, there was, I think at the, there's just like them and a few other brands. Um, but, you know, a lot of the teams are filled up and there's not many opportunity in such a small industry. So he was just trying to figure out where he belongs. So after I was approached to start something like uh, Spearhead and work with the skate company pretty closely, and I turned it down, I started thinking, well, maybe me and you could do something, John. Like, well, maybe we'll find... So we started looking at skates on Alibaba, right? And we started talking to the manufacturing companies in Shenzhen and talking about if we could add like a, an SSM style sole plate to certain Alibaba skates, right? I had a, my old boss was in, someone who was interested in investing as he believed in us. And we were talking about something like two to 300 skates, like a two to 300 skate order. And me and Bellino just, just hustle them. Just basically like, all right, let's go like film on these skates. We, we had a name. It's different than Mesmer. Um, and we were, we were originally going to call it Merlin after the guy who invented inline skates, uh, John Joseph Merlin in 1760. So we, there was like a relation to the idea of like using a last name and Elon Musk with Tesla, Gibson guitars, Fender guitars, like last names and people who were related to those things. Uh, even though Merlin has the association with wizardry as well. Um, but we weren't trying to go at it from that angle, whatever. So uh, we're looking, we're looking into this skate and we're like basically about to pull the trigger on like 300 skates. We had a mold. We're like, are we going to put Shima? We were talking, I was talking to Shima on a regular basis. Shima was like, you can have the SSM mold, have it for free. It's yours. And I was like, sweet, like, cool. We're like we're, we're making progress here. And we're about to, we're about to like, just do this kind of like on, on the whim, just try to build something with Bellino. And um I remember at this point I was talking to Shima on FaceTime like maybe once a week, just staying in touch. Uh, Shima's a friend. I got a lot of love and respect for him. And uh, I was just like, we would just catch up and chat on the thing. And I would tell him some of the ideas that we were working on. <laughs> and then he was like, we were about to do it. <laughs> he was like, hey, Bill, you want a piece of advice? And I was like, yeah, sure. He was like, don't do this. He's like, if you want to do this, like for real, he's like, call Andy or call Matthias and try to work out the best deal possible you can with them. He's like, because uh, you're going to get hazed at the manufacturing companies. They don't know you. They're going to, they're going to like, they're going to take forever to do your stuff. They're going to not give you the high quality product. Your stuff's probably going to break. They're not going to be helpful. Like, and also you got to like take care of X, Y, C and all these other things. Andy, Matthias, they have 25 plus year relationships with these manufacturing companies. They work well together. So you want to make this deal uh, with them if you wanted to. So I reached out to Matthias and I said, Hey, what are you doing with this old? I was thinking about the old Arlo classic throne mold, like the old one, you know, like the old Dustin Latimer, the first time upside down skates. I was like, where is this? What are you guys doing with this? Like you're only working with the Aeon. Is this something I could lease from you guys? Would I be able to buy this from you? What's going on? And Matthias is like, yeah, I mean, it's broken. You could probably pay to get it fixed and have it remodeled. He's like, and that's something I'd be open to, but, but what are you thinking of? What are you doing? And I was like, well, I'm trying to do this with John and I'm trying to like, uh, yeah, get something going because 
and the, the the place where it came from was like literally and and i could i'll get into where actually i'll get into that in, in a little bit but it was basically trying to like what do we do with john <laughs> like or what can we do as us like we want to be here like how do we stay here how do we create something where we can like give something or make something or do something for the people that we want to do something for let's so that it came from that and when i was talking to matthias about what we wanted to do and why i was trying to buy the lease from him he was like wow that sounds like an exciting project that i would like to be a part of and i said well if it's something you want to be a part of it's something that we have to make make sense for all of us because I'm not going to want to do something and then in three years be like, oh, this deal sucks. I'm going to do something else. Like, it's like, I want to, and I don't want you to feel like you're getting what I like. I want everyone to feel good about what we're going to do if you want to be a part of it. And I want it to be something that's going to last for the long term. Like there's not going to be resentment in five years. So we have to make this deal proper. And what we came to was like, we're 50-50 partners. Um, he covers the disroyal uh, distribution in Europe. We, John and I, cover the uh, heavy distribution in the States, Canada, and Mexico. Um, we split the costs of ordering skates. Like, you know, skates cost something, like however much it costs to do, order a thousand skates. He and I split that cost down the middle. Then we split the inventory and then we sell it. And that's kind of how we're working in terms of like the creative uh input and website and everything like he has nothing to do with anything in that regard he's like we basically do our strong suits you know what i mean i'm like we're doing the all the building all the setting like all the branding everything like that he helps us with the companies and uh, shenzhen and his influence and his he's an incredibly smart guy he is and I think he actually has a bad rap sometimes in skating. Uh, we're actually talking about getting him on the podcast because I think he should tell his story. Um, you know, his story in itself is incredible. Like, um, yeah, he went from selling wheels out of the back of his car to building what Power Slide was before he paid his partner out and is now doing Disroyal. And it's, um, yeah, it's it, his story is something in and of itself that we can get into later or at another time. But um, that that was how it started. That was how we we came to make it happen. And we it was so like uh, and Matias said, well, if we're gonna if we're gonna do this, and I am interested, then we need to set up everyone's roles and everyone's positions in the company now. Like so, we we don't have any resentment or problems in the future. We need to make those lines. And it took us like two months to do that. It was like two months of back and forth and being like. I won't do it unless it's this way. Like, I don't want to like, because like, and I can, I can get into that at greater length too, but like a lot of the ethos for our company is to, is to get skate skaters paid their fair share and to get skaters to what I really ultimately want to do is I want to create a light at the end of the tunnel for skaters. Like, um, you know, I, to show that there's, other paths to success versus like you know and god bless him like you know john julio like i think for a, for a lot of us john julio was like the 
only example of of being able to go from pro skating to being to being able to succeed in skating and even that story wasn't fully realized till maybe just recently and maybe still being realized as we speak but it, he was just i think it was it really hurt the morale of skating to see the path a lot of pros ended up going down i mean i i know it i think it hit skating in in a in a in a large impactful way. And I, but I don't want to speak for all the skating. I know it impacted me in, in a very serious way when I heard some, some of my favorite pros and I, w- I was just going to name them, but maybe I won't name them because I don't want to put anyone down, but, or make them put, put on the spot when they don't want to be. But when I saw some of my favorite pros um, not being able to sustain the lifestyle that they had earned um, and having to like find new jobs or start over at 30 um like and just seeing what that psychologically was doing to some of the people i had had on these pedestals and um i i mean that's that's kind of always been my mission with like whether it was like doing the, the the competitions in new york i always wanted to like put the competitions in a public place so people could see like what it is that we do in its right in its proper light. That's why it was an invitational. So it was like a cohesive level of skills at, and above at a certain point. Um, that's why I was doing the podcast to like try to tell these stories to try to like because you know I, I think there there was a point where I where I was just like all right I'm doing this like skating like industry for like we're building skate industry like that i'm committed to it like life now there was a point where it was like i was a pro and we we're trying to work with things and then ah, da, 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 and i would I, I always had other jobs while while being a skater but there was a point you know you get 30 31 32 you can't skate like you used to i'm just like all right you know what skating's fun now skating's fun it's what i do to hang out with my friends and we got to focus on these other things but um coming back around i'm like no i'm i'm trying to dedicate my life to building this industry, to showing that skaters who skate hard can get rewarded with, with royalties and payments. And there's, there can be a path forward or at the minimum blading can be a vehicle that gets you to the next place that you need to go in life. And something that doesn't leave you with such like a, a, a resentful energy from like having had spent a lot of time. Cause I know a lot of skaters did feel that way. Um, so that was, that is and continues to be the motivation for me um, in skating because, and like how it started too, because I was looking at John and I was like, why, why is John in this position? Like, it shouldn't be <laughs> like, this guy should be celebrated and we need to do what we can to like uplift the people that sacrifice so much of themselves to push what, what it is that we're a part of. We need to hold those people up because they're doing that, that work. Um, I'd say throughout you know, the past 20 years, 95% of professional skaters deserved a lot more than they got. You know, they did a lot of skating, a lot of work, and they didn't see much from it. Um, You, you know, as a pro skater for multiple companies, do you think your sponsors in the past treated you fairly or took advantage of you to an extent? Well, um, I think that the model at the time was just really bad. And yeah, um, I think they were self-serving a lot of the companies at the time. And 
I remember like, I remember arguing with Matthias when I skated for USD uh, and, and Matthias will, t- will t- he'll tell you, and hopefully we can get into it when I have him on our podcast, but we butted heads all the time. Like when I was on USD, we went at it like a lot, he and I, because, and I told him this, we, we just actually recently had a meeting, but I feel like he's always been a good guy with a good heart, but maybe he would pick some of the wrong people to, to run his companies. And I think those, that's where a lot of the issues uh, were, but you know, there was like $2.50 for skate royalties back in the day. Which is nothing. I was, I was really pushing for five at the time. And I was like, why? Why can't you sell it for $2.50 more? Why? Like, and it was like, he's like, oh, we just can't. The shops, it'll affect the shops, this, that, and all this other stuff. I was like, no, you can. Like, I don't get this. Like, so, so I was, uh, you know, even then trying to like advocate not only for myself, but other skaters, like trying to get their fair share. Um, and then, you know, it took someone like John Julio to, to make like a $10 royalty with the Sean Dar skate and then bring it up to 30 for the uh, Danny Beer skate. And then other companies had to step up, you know, like uh, USD started doing $30 royalties and they started stepping up. It, cha- it changed. And you know what? The craziest thing is some companies haven't changed it. No, I've they're seen still that. at 250. And, and, and so it's like, look, where you, where you put, your money in skating matters. You know what I mean? Like if, if you want to see a thriving industry, look at who's doing the work. And we've been saying this, I've been saying this like a broken record since the SSM days. Like, yeah. If, do, do you like SSM? Do you like the content that people are putting out? Do you like that? The fact that this brand puts out content and other brands maybe weren't at the time, like, okay, then if you buy the skates, there's more content. It's a, it's feeding the industry, right? So it was an idea we were trying to get across for a long time and really putting like a lot of energy into skater owned back then. Skater owned, skater owned, skater owned. Now I think my my mindset has changed a little bit on that because I've seen a company that was skater owned maybe not do the right thing as well. So I don't think you necessarily need to be skater owned, but it needs to be something that serves skaters like skaters in the skating community so hey i don't want to see this but if solomon came back and they were like yo we're gonna pay guys this much we're gonna take care of them we're gonna like listen to you guys in terms of how we put out the content and and figure it out then then yeah support solomon because they're taking care of skaters you know it's it's not about it's just about we thought at that time skater owned was the only people that could wouldn't would serve skaters would help skaters um i think the issue with skater owned brands coming from one uh is there was just you know you have to have a lot of capital to actually get started to make enough product and to sell enough and you know right now is the perfect time too you know when skating is having a revival i mean it's one reason i'm sure matthias has expanded with you know doing mesmer with you and then doing icon and like you know it's a lot of it's a lot of inventory to add to an already large, you know, amount of companies that he's already involved with. Right. Um. To to be fair, just because, just to just to be clear, just because I, I just want uh, people to just have a clear perception of what's happening because it's hard to know behind the scenes. Icon was something that was being worked on well before I approached him with Mesmer, um, and that company actually. It does aggressive, but it's it's like freewheel and and wreck as well. So that icon is more of like a true like new brand launch, like almost like a 
yeah, like we're we're doing what we do. We're doing a, 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 I guess I don't even know what it's called. What we do at twenty seven years doing this is it aggressive skating? I don't even know, but it's what we do is what Mesmer is doing, and Icon is has those elements, but Icon's a a, a much larger project um, in that way. They're they're interesting. This is crazy, huge. Yeah, for they have focused heavily on the aggressive side. In yes. the beginning, going back to your history with Matthias, did you leave USD on good terms? Huh. Um, as good as it could have been, because what had happened was, uh, it's funny when when me and Matthias started talking again. He's like, "Well, you know, you were right about some things. I was right about some things. You were wrong about some things. I was wrong about some things." It's kind of the, like I said, we're we're butting heads. I was always pushing in favor of the skater. Um, and what had happened was when I, like I told you, when I moved to Oakland with John on that tour, I was skating with, with John, you know, Montre, Joey Chase, Matty Schrock. And they're like, come on, dude, like, come on, come on to SSM, come to the dark side. And I, this is at a time when I was butting heads with Matthias. So what I was, I was like, you know what I'll do? I'll, I'll film in some SSMs and like not tell Matthias. I'm just going to like kind of film in some SSMs. And then I'm going to quit after I have like a part filmed from USD and then like make this announcement like a month later with like a whole part, which was like supposed to be like my SSM part. That was the, what, what that was supposed to be like a kind of like surprise, but um what had happened was I was getting like a monthly and then uh, Matias, I like, came up like, Hey, we're, we're cutting your monthly to a lower monthly. And then I called up JC Rowe, who was like the, the guy at the time, uh, the, the manager. And I was like, what's going on? Why, why, why are they, they cutting my stuff? You got to talk to this guy. I was like, come on, man. Like I got these guys asking me to skate for SSM. Like you guys do this. I'll just, I'll just skate for SSM, you know, whatever the case is. And so JC like took that back and he told Matias like that I was saying that and then Matias called me like, hey, so I know you're probably wanting to skate with the SSM guys. You're not happy with us. Like, why don't we just call it right here? And I was like, yeah, that's fine. Let's call it right here. And uh, he was like, wish you the best. Thanks for everything. I was like, all right, bye. So it wasn't like a go to hell or anything like that, but I was frustrated with them. And like I told Matias, I think the reason for that is he has so much going on and he's not an aggressive person uh, by trade. He, he's a speed skater. Um, so what he does in terms of like, you know, getting people, he gets people who he are knowledgeable at, at, at aggressive and he has them run it. Like I, Ollie Bennett was one guy who was made a lot of the decisions in the aggressive side of the company. And I did not see eye to eye Tim on so many different things. I didn't like his, his certain style of promotion. I didn't like his decisions with the team. And I was always, you know, button heads with him but yeah like when we left there was a bit of a frustration but there was never any problem uh i saw him, we went back to winter clash to do jump streets and it was like years later and i saw bauer who's always worked at powerside great guy and he's like hey billy matias is here he wants to see you and i was like hey matias he's like hi and like we had a really good interaction and look this that dude just loves skating and i don't have i mean there's like there's like yeah, I mean, maybe it's not the right thing. 
there's very few people that I have problems with in skating. I got a ton of respect for, for the overwhelming majority of skaters and uh, the people who are involved in, in the industry from, and that goes for like, like all the companies, like I have a huge amount of respect for Tom Heiser um, who, and he works with blank by rollerblade and, and rollerblade directly for, I know rollerblade has a bad rap, but I got a ton of respect for him as an individual and, and his work. Um, Matias the same. I mean, it, it, it's a hard industry to be a part of, you know, it's, there's a lot of ups and downs and frustrations and anyone who's look, I mean, look at Solomon, you know, they bottled it. They were like, that's it. Like we're, we're not dealing with this. There's not enough. There's not enough. You have to love it to some extent. If you're still around at this point, <coughs> excuse me. Um, just getting over a little bit of cold, <coughs> but um, so that's never been in question for me in terms of like his motivation. He's, um, but yeah, I guess I'm just going on giving another long answer. Yeah. Um, did we leave on good terms? Hey, yeah, as good as it can be. Like, it, we didn't tell each other to go fuck ourselves or anything like that, but there was frustration. It was like, we're both frustrated Bye. like, you know, kind of thing. So, yeah. Pretty cool that you had, you know, a fallout with, with, uh, Bellino. Yeah. And with Matias and now yeah. everybody's back together yeah. as a happy family. Yeah. Which yeah. Is, yeah. Which is rad. Yeah, um, cool. And, you know, you were talking about you want to change how riders are treated with Mesmer, you know, um, and what are some other besides the royalty? Well, first of all, do you have your royalty figured out what, what riders yeah. are going to make on the skates? Is that something yeah. you're at liberty to say? Yeah, yeah, we're doing $30 royalty. $30. Okay. I would love to get to a point where we're doing 50, but I just don't know yet. I've never done it. So like, I don't want to, the main thing is I don't want to promise what I can't do to the guys or to girls or whoever's on the team. That's why I'm keeping the team very, very small for now. I mean, we could revisit it in six months or in a year, but at the moment, the reason why it's small is because I don't want to take on too much overhead and say, I can do things that I can't do. Um, what I'm telling the team I can do is um, I can do $30 royalties. I'm going to be able to do monthlies for, for our pros. I expect every am to go pro. I don't want anyone to be used or feel like they're an am for life or <coughs> in that middle position where they don't know what they're going to be. No, if, if I'm asking you to be an am, I expect you to, we all expect you to push to be a pro. Mm -hmm. That's the same thing that Matre said he wants to do with the icon brand, which I think is awesome. You know, it kind of reminds me of how, it, well, it was that way to an extent with some brands back in the day, but not, not too much. You know, you had a lot of AMs that never, that should have, I mean, look at, look at Razors, how many of the AMs on that company should have gone pro and they ended up going, most of them went pro with other brands later. Like that's a big part of it because I don't want anyone to feel used or taken advantage of because I know that feeling. It's not a good feeling. And especially when you, you love something, you're putting your health at risk and your heart on the line. Um, so that's just one small thing that we're going to do. Um, also, in terms of our decision-making, we, our company, I mean, and I, I try to not be political, but I feel like I have to be in order to describe this, but our company is a bit of a communist company in terms of, I don't make the decisions. Um, I, we talk as a team and we figure out how we promote, we figure out how we push ideas. 
I don't send things. It's not top down. I don't say this is how it is. I mean, there are some things where it's just how it is. Like, you know what I mean? In terms of like things you can't do, but videos, trips, ideas, plans, marketing strategies, uh, in the future, who will add it's, it's a, we figure it out together. So everyone feels like they're a part and they have a voice. Um, we might have some problems in the future with that as we grow, but I think in, in terms of having a small company, it's, it's been lovely to have right now because I don't feel like I'm telling these guys how it is. They don't feel like they're just sitting being told. They feel like they're a part of the creative process because they are, and I'm not. And it's easier for me too, because, you know, I just turned 38. You know, I'm trying to keep my finger on the pulse, but I can't do it as much as a 23-year-old can. So they get to tell me what's cool and what's happening. And I go, okay, cool. And then we figure it out and we go with that. So that's that's the basic foundation of of the, the idea for the company. And, you know, I we're going to have a team skate in the future. And I want to take that team skate royalty and split it up with the AMs. Like, you know, so the AMs can get paid. I just want to, I mean, in terms of, our clothes, like we just had to buy a bunch of shirts where as long as we can, we're not going to outsource anything. Like we're like, oh, we need shirts. We have, we know bladers that do shirts. We're going to pay bladers. Oh, we need web things. We need mark. We need, we're, we're net, like, as long as we can, our money that goes out is going to stay in, like in terms of our industry. And like I, I was saying before, there's enough talented people that can do that. So we don't, we, I really don't feel like we need, when our money comes in, we could just keep it in like, and pay, pay our skaters, pay the guys. And look, I'm, I'm, I'm like, uh, I could be a bit naive in some ways, even at 38, I, I could be a bit, uh, I could be somehow cynical and optimistic at the same time. But um, I have dreams like things like, I, I want to see like what I, I think about things that are big for skating, like big landmarks. Um, I remember when, you know, Aaron Farmer was driving his M3 BMW around and what a big deal that was for the morale of skating. Um, when Shima got his fourth Razor skate and they called it the S4 and he bought an Audi S4 that was like some, you know, luxury car at the time. And it was a picture in daily bread. And, those things do something for the morale of skating. It says, wow, like this is possible through skating. I, I would love to see things in the future is like uh, skaters making an Instagram post. Like I just bought this house, you know, I just, I'm driving this car, which may or may not be nice, but I'm not having to like, those are, I think landmarks in skating. And I would like to, you know, put someone like who has the talent like of any of the members of our team. Um, but initially it started with, with, with wanting to do something with John, but um, I, I would, I just want to see these people who they're clearly their home. Like this is their home. I just want them to have that home. Like uh, I think skateboarding does a really good job of creating homes for pros or former members of the industry what i would like to do with heavy distribution without if i'm forgive me if, if i'm being too long-winded here but i feel like i want to express this what i'd like to do with okay so there's a there's a distribution company called deluxe in sf they distribute like all the skateboarding stuff real spitfire whatever crap decks wheels clothes right 
Um, we had a, my old bandmate Nico skated for real and Spitfire and Converse, and he would go there to get you know decks and wheels. So when we went to uh, Deluxe, you see like 30 employees. They're all skateboarders. They all have jobs within the skateboarding industry. They all have a means to make a living within the skateboarding industry. Now, some of these guys were pro, but some of them weren't able to achieve being a pro, but they still had a place to fall back on within their industry. They still had a place to find a livelihood. They didn't have to like go out and rediscover some new skills at 30 to like get a job so they can get by and pay rent. There was a place for them. That is my ultimate goal. I want to make heavy distribution a company that grows, where we have employees, we hire skaters, there's livelihoods created, there's careers created, and people might think that that's naive or, or hopeful, but I think it's possible. And I think it's possible, especially if we control the money that's coming in and uh, put it in the right places and just show, show younger skaters that there's a, there's a path forward because I think that's the best investment in skating for years. Everyone's, what do we invest in? Okay, we could invest in a new skate technology, maybe make a new mold. Maybe we'll get, we'll do an ad in, in Times Square, which is cool by the way, or you do this, that, or this, that. Like, no, the best investment is in the individual, I think for a thriving industry, because if, you know, like some of my favorite skaters who I looked up to uh, and idolized growing up, if they were still here, I think our, our industry would be in a much better place. But I think the reason that contributed to the downfall of our industry was not only from external forces going against it actively, but also from us not being able to find that for those individuals. And I would like to do my part to change that. I think your heart, you know, is definitely in the right place. And I really like that concept, especially with the heavy distribution. It also opens it up to where you guys can start new brands or, you know, people on the team can start their own brands that you guys can distribute. Um, I want to go back to, you know, what you mentioned about the skateboard distribution. I don't know, you know, if it's changed throughout the years, but, you know, we knew when living in San Diego, we knew a lot of the guys like Tomietto and Black Box, which is like Zero, Jamie Thomas. And I know a lot of people work there. And skateboard industry at that time, there's a lot of talented people because it's such a big sport. And everyone, like rollerbladers, want to work in the industry. And my, what I remember from skateboarding back then is they want to pay people as little money as they could because they could easily replace them with somebody the next day because so many people want to work down there. So uh, I like the concept of having a, you know, like a big warehouse full of skater people. And I think you're going to do it the right way. I don't think skateboarding is the prime example of doing it proper. Because I think there was a lot, a lot of advantage taking in that industry as well. Yeah, and 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 I think this, like, okay, so this 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 opens up another thing that's a concern of mine as well. Because you know, for however long skating has been not successful as an industry, I think there's been a unidirectional focus on the same problem, and that problem being we need to make skating be alive. We need to help our industry grow, help it grow, help it grow, get it out there, get it out there. Everyone from John Julio to Shima to everyone down, everyone had the same goal. Now, we haven't been in a place where our industry is thriving. And maybe if we get everything we wished for, we will encounter a lot of other new problems. 
And maybe in those new problems, it's greed is a part of it because we're humans and we're susceptible to all these humanly conditions that could corrupt us. And yeah, who knows? I mean, I don't want that, <laughs> but I think when you, you could be a victim of success and those people who maybe started their ideas out with best intentions and start trying to make some sort of connection between that and the money-making aspect and try to create a balance and it's hard to do. And I don't know, I'm going to like discover all this as I go. That's why I'm not, that's why I'm like really just like my heart's in the right place. I'm trying to do this for you guys right now. I don't know what I can do. So I'm not going to add a lot of people because I don't know what I can do yet. I have no idea. Um, but for me, it's, it's actually, it sounds unselfish, this goal, but it's actually a selfish goal as well, because what I want out of this is a thriving industry. What I want out of this is to be a fan of this thing that I've been a fan of for my whole life and been a part of, and just be able to sit back and see us where we should be. That's my like unidirectional goal at the moment. That's it. That's what I care about. I want to get us there. And I think investing in the skaters helps in the morale for the industry. It shows the community that it's possible. And then it boosts skating and, and then things begin to change. That's just a theory. I don't know what's going to happen, but um, that's, it's, it's an unselfish goal, but it's also a selfish goal in terms of the reason why, it's it's how I think the best way to make our industry thrive. I agree with you 100% on that. And I think you're going to do it the way it should have been done in both industries, you know. I hope so. It's going to be exciting <laughs> to see. I wanted to get on a time frame. So, you know, Mesmer was announced, what, like within the past two months. When did when did you actually, like, when was it, what, what month, what year that you came up with the concept and then talked to, what, not when you came up with the concept, but when you talked to Matthias, first when was that okay so like like i said i was um i was approached by someone in october so october of last year okay uh-huh and then i was looking into the alibaba for november december and we were about to pull the trigger in beginning of january and that's when shima switched my thinking on it all and then i reached out to matthias in january of this year. And when you reached out, Matthias, you had said that the mold was broken, which I've heard yeah. you know, on a rumor mill. How badly broken was it? And how long did it take to fix the mold? I mean, everything's fixable. You just got to spend money. We just, we, we had to spend like a, a good amount to fix it. Um, I know molds are it, expensive, so. Yeah, exactly. Like it's, it's way more expensive to do a new one. So it's easy, it's much cheaper to fix. Um, but you know, it's it cost a bit, but um, I think there were, out of all of them, there were two molds that were good or like there was, but um, yeah, I mean, that, that was, we had to reshape the mold, remake the mold, certain, the, the part that held like the tumor plate was, was not in good shape. So we just smoothed around that. We widened it. We raised the heel. Um, but yeah, uh, that, that process, I mean, we got our first prototypes in July. So it, it, it was, we started working on that in January. We thought originally we were going to get prototypes in May. 
we ended up not being able to get our first pairs till July and which we filmed uh, rising in these pairs. But when we got the, like, it's our prototypes. We, we had not, it's not like we've never tried it before. So as we were skating the skates um, for rising, we, we all liked the skates, but we said, Oh, we got to make a change here. We got to make a change here. We got to make a change here. So what we could have done was put this skate forward that we had the prototype that needed improvements and had it out by September and sold a bunch by now, I think, and it not be as optimal as we wanted it to be. But again, we're skaters. Our names and reputations are important to us because we've built them over the years. And we didn't, we were like, we can make it better. Like we need to make these changes. So let's make these changes. So we pushed it back, made the changes. John and Mark flew to Germany to talk to Matthias and at the warehouse. And they went over like ideas to how to improve the skate and the mold and the liner and how to make it more solid and a new material as well. Um, instead of just like the traditional PU plastic, we used a, a P-Bax, which is like the first time it's ever being used in skating, which is like wonder material. We can get into that in a bit uh, if you want. But um, basically had the guys go over there and just like, we need to change these little things, these little nuanced things. And this skate that we have now, I'm just, I was shocked because I didn't even get to skate until like John Bellino was telling me like, oh, it's like, it's the best skate I've ever skated. It's the best skate I've ever skated. I was like, really? Is it that, that different from our prototype? And then I didn't even get to skate it till after the blade cut because we had got the skates in the day of the blade cut. The only person who had them was John Abellino because he had the sample prototype of the new skate. And then, yeah, I skated after and um, I'm really, I am very confident of what we're putting out uh, that people are going to like, because again, like uh, before money, before any of this, that like, it would, it would kill me to say for people to be like, this is a shit product. Like, you know what I mean? And so like our thing was like, no, no, we're skaters, we're consumers, we're all of it. <laughs> like we're these people. So we got to like do it for us. And, and what's good for skating? Like that is our, and especially like having Mark on the team and maybe at some point we can get into how we, how we developed the team. Cause I'd like to get into that at some point, but um, having Mark as a part of it, I, I just, I just, we're all on the same page. It's like, number one is the culture number one that's like and that's where like all our heads are at so like that that means just putting out the best stuff we can in every way uh yeah i think that you did it the right way for sure you know testing the skates by making a video i mean what what better way to test a skate than going full force on it to produce yeah. a section you know all those guys are not like i mean they're doing gnarly tricks you know you're definitely going to know if the skate's good or not well well well, well that's another thing and and, 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 I, and again stop me if i'm facing too much talking too much but um I, I feel like if you start something in skating you have a responsibility to make it as cool as you can don't half-ass it if you're gonna like if you're gonna try to do something exciting for skating don't just be like hey look at our skate buy it it's a good skate, right? No, it's like the part of it is like creating that thing that's exciting. Like I'm a fan. I'm a fan of skating. So like I want to be like sit down like on my ass. Like uh, I had an incredible weekend at the Blade Cup watching like Zephyr hit it wet. The Them Journal was in ridiculous. Like it was everything was so good. And 
if you're going to, I think if you're going to come and bring something to skating, just, just care about it. Treat it with care. Don't be lazy. Like, yeah, just don't try to just sell a skate. Try to like create something because we, if we care about this thing that helps us. So like, just put, uh, that's what I would say. Anyone um, moving forward, starting a skate company. I, I would love to see other skate companies that are cool come forward. We need as many cool freaking companies as we can get, just do the right thing, but don't make something without care, put care into it, put thought into it. And, and that's, and that's what we're trying to do. Yeah. So going to the team, um, obviously it was you and Bellino were the first guys on the team. How did you add the rest of the riders? And also you've announced one AM rider. You haven't announced the rest of the AM team, but how did you, you know, pick the AM team? Okay. So yeah. Um, well, the reason why we're also, again, we have three other AMs that we haven't announced and it goes back to what I was just saying. We're not gonna be like, Hey, here's our AMs. Here it is. You know, we want, we want to put care into it and we want them to feel like they have the the platform they deserve they get they're defined as a member of this of this team and we want to present that properly and we want to give each person the space to do so uh to do it properly um but every person that's a part of it it was it was just crazy how organic it happened it was uh, initially i saw bellino getting frustrated with um with his position in skating so i was like all right let's figure something out so it's me and him figuring out we're starting to build and do the Alibaba thing. And then we, we transfer, transfer over to working with Matias and we're working with Matias. Now we're like, okay, now we have an opportunity to work with this, this boot and do this. John was like, we need Mark. We need Mark. And I was like, for sure. We need Mark. Got Mark. We called Mark and we say, Hey, we're going to do something. And he's like, I'm down. That was like, we didn't say what we were going to do. We just called them on FaceTime. Yo, we're going to do something, whatever it is. I'm down is, is what he said. And I was like, sick. So we had him and then we're talking and he's like, you know who we need. We need, we need the kid like uh, Dominic, because even before um, this company, you know, we, we, we did a trip to Tenerife um, just like a homie trip, like uh, for Echeda, the, the um, Bina and Mark Moreno's kind of effort together, which is just basically like, Hey, we're all friends. We miss each other. We want to go to a place and skate and make a, make a video out of it, but it's really just an excuse excuse to hang out. That was an amazing trip you guys made. Very jealous. Seen photos and everything from that. It's beautiful. My girlfriend wants to go there. So I have to make a trip. Honestly. And I I know you're into long distance. I want to, I'm going to, it's I want to go back over there for like a a bike ride. Cause a lot of people go there. Like a lot of my cyclist friends, they like do the ring around it or they do like the high one. And when I went there, I was like, I want to come back and and cycle it. But, um, that it's, it's a place I recommend checking out, especially you who's in a long distance and like things like that. Um, but yeah, it's, um, so we had already like had a relationship with Dominic Bruce for a while. Like I had a personal relationship with Dominic Bruce going back quite a way, actually that um, from Russ Gilda to like, he stayed with me in New York with his girlfriend. And then uh, we went to Woodward together on like the, what year is it? And we went to Tenerife together, like and Mark and Dom had like done, you know, Tenerife and they had done, I think did they go to Peru together with Bina. So th- this crew has been collaborating for a while as like friends. And uh, so we reached out to Dominic and uh, he was, frustrated at his position 
in at uh uh at the company he was skating for razors i think he, it was just like he was waiting to get a pro skate for a while that was never coming and so while we didn't want to like take anybody from any companies it just didn't seem like he wanted to be there anymore and so yeah we ended up getting him and then he was like levy we need levy and i just only saw two levy clips in fifth floor that was the only thing i'd seen from levy but they were like really good clips like i was like whoa this guy is something about him is special and uh, everyone's like, yeah, Levy, Levy, Levy. And it goes back to the communist thing. Like, I've only seen two uh, clips of him, but I was like, eh, if everyone's saying it, then it must be, okay, let's go. So we got Levy involved as well. And uh, it's funny because we had him on talking to him for months, like him being a part of this, like maybe two or three months. And then I saw his Plastic Pushers 2 section. Like after like, oh, we have this guy, we're friends, we're talking, we're planning this trip. He's been on for like two, three months. And then I was, I was like, this this guy's this good? It shocked me. I was like, oh my God, this is so stoked. Um, Lewis, um, we met Lewis at uh, Pow Wow. And uh, yeah, John and Lewis hit it off, off the bat. And like, John's always like, yo, Lewis, Lewis, like just pushing Lewis hard. And I was like, yeah, everything John showed me, I was like, yeah, it's sick, he's great. And we just developed it like that. Um, the other AMs um, were, yeah, it was just, it was just people that we, we've been looking at for a while. That's like this, something is special about these people. And um, I still feel that way. I cannot wait to, I want to say it right now, but I can't, but I can't wait to like show uh, everyone what we're doing. And yeah. Yeah. It's exciting. I can't wait to see who the AMs are as well sick that's gonna be really cool i saw that on your website that dominic bruce is living in iceland now yeah what's up with that when did he go there what's he doing um so what he did was he's 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 participating in a three-month art school program that's like in this small town in the middle of nowhere in iceland after our trip uh in and we went to new york and then we went to spain well not all of us got to go to new york but we went we were in spain together after that he went back to denmark where he lives in Copenhagen and he took a, uh, a boat that goes from Denmark to Iceland. It's like a five days or something by boat. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so he just did that as like, a, you know, Dominic's a very cerebral guy. He's very, he's a very thoughtful person. He's a very abstract thinker. He, um, I think he, he like really likes to keep himself in certain space and certain environments to, to really cultivate the best of what his brain can offer in terms of being just a creative person and being an artist. And uh, yeah, so he, I think this kind of location is like a really, he's been sending pictures to the group chat and we've been interacting. And it's just a, it's just a place where you can, if you're looking to like grow as an artist, you can really cultivate your craft there. So yeah, uh, that's what he's doing there. Chase Rushing, mm-hmm. how did he get involved with Mesmer? Who talked to him? Like- who was his connection to the brand? Yeah, well, um, when we started to figure out a way to incorporate art on the bottom of the soul plate, we were just thinking about, again, uh, if every thought we think, if we need something, oh, we need an artist. The next thought is who in skating can we use? Is And, oh, we need shirts. Who in skating can we buy from like you know that that's always going to be our second thought to the thing that we need so we just thought oh we need an artist to do this who can we who can we get 
And uh, Bellino was showing me a lot of Chase's work and a lot of Sean Santa Maria's work. And Santa Maria's artwork is really cool. Really cool. Really cool. Yeah, it's rad. Yeah, so so we were just like looking at both of these guys, and I think just and nothing nothing against Sean. I you know Sean. Okay, I know Sean. So like Sean. Okay, so Sean just wasn't as receptive in the beginning. I don't know. Like just Sean is very particular. He didn't know what Mesmer was, and 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 I think he was like, ah, maybe if I can get to it, sort of kind of thing. And then Chase was like, yeah, I'm down. I'm like, okay, that was it. So we just did it with Chase and. I think Chase's stuff fits really well with us anyway. Just a, his, his, yeah, I just love him. And I know you know him and love him as well. And uh, you, you can see his personality through his art. So I just like uh, really, really stoked we have him. And after we got some stuff with him, he was sending him, he was like just sending us ideas. He was just doodling mesmer ideas and they, it's so sick. Like I, he's already, I feel like he's in our heads, but um, yeah, he's uh that's how we started working with Chase. Yeah, that skate with you right now, right? With the soul plate? Yeah. Can we see it? Yeah. There we go. That's the Chase rushing art. Yeah. <laughs> it's really cool. So this is like in collaboration, like John's big on ski masks. Uh-huh. And like he likes that. There's like, what do we got? Like, it's like a piece. Of, is that a, got music, right? Don't Mind Time, a song John wrote and a piece of bread. Uh, What is it? Hold on. Yeah, right here. A piece, a piece of bread. <laughs> I know the wheels on there are those mesmer wheels or so these wheels mm-hmm. are mesmer wheels okay they're not a wheel company they're from our Chinese pourer which uh-huh. actually is like really high quality crazy like because you know some skates you could take out the box and the skate the wheels aren't too too good because it normally could be stock yeah these wheels are super good but we um we're talking with a new wheel manufacturer um, in California that's in Lake Elsinore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know who you're to, talking about. Yeah, and I, I believe it's going to be like the highest quality skate wheel since Cosmo, mm-hmm. if anyone is old enough to know what that means. Um, but yes, um, so we, we have some other things in the pipeline. Yeah, and like I said, our priority is quality and and that. So you had mentioned earlier that the skates are using a new material that you upgraded after yes. testing. What Can you go into that material a little bit? Yes. Um, it's uh, So forever in skates, there's uh, normally like different variations of a PU plastic. Now a PU plastic, you can find different combinations of that, which makes it harder or softer, but it's generally this, this typical type of uh, plastic compound that you find in a skate. Um, as of late, the manufacturing companies were trying to push us on this PBAX. PBAX is this new material that's used in like running shoes and uh, ski boots and things like that. But it's essentially a compound that uses two different, it's, it's a material that uses two different compounds. It's a polymide and a polythene. And they bring them together and you, you get both properties out of it. So the polymide, basically it um, provides strength, um, flexibility and energy giving and the polythene like allows flexibility so it provides like you have one thing that provides like the strength and durability and like you know toughness and the other one that provides like the ability for it to flex and uh, be, be flexible and not break we've tested this uh, at the warehouse we have yet to put it into practice but the in theory it's cold resistant so people who are skating in 
where you are, Vermont. Oh, or I can definitely test City. those out for you. It gets oh, you can de- degrees here. Exactly. Because, <laughs> you know, look, I've skated in New York in the freezing cold and, you know, your skates crack and you hit it too hard on something. But um, in theory, it's the energy giving uh, material properties of the polythene are supposed to uh, prevent it from, from breaking. And we got the cut, like right when I got the cuffs, John was actually getting mad at me right when I got like the new cuffs. It's, I was like bending it around and like trying to break it. He's like, dude, stop. You're like misshaping it. And I was like, no, nah, man, we gotta, we gotta test these things. And, uh, but, um, we'll see. And that's what we're going to do. So I, so for that's going to be on all of our pro skates, uh, as you would imagine, it is slightly more expensive, not a crazy amount that, uh, is unfeasible because that's another huge part of of us wanting to like provide something not expensive, not too expensive at high quality. Um, but even like that, it's going to be on all of our pro skates. We're going to go back to the PU for some of our team skates just so we could make like a more price point product. But um, yeah, we're going to, we're going to have both of those materials, but that's, that's the PBAX material, which is uh, all like the, I guess like a lot of, uh, you know, if you look into like the Olympics, a lot of Olympic runners, when they, when they use this stuff in their shoes, they were like winning medals and stuff like that. So it's like this wonder material. Uh, if anyone's curious to go more in depth on what that material is, it's P-B-A-X, P-E-B-A-X and Google it. Have fun. It's, uh, I w- I'll add a link below so you can see what it's all about. Um, so, okay. Re- yesterday, I think it was yesterday you made a post on Facebook about all the different jobs you worked throughout your career skating. Yeah. Now that you started Mesmer, are you still working a day job? Yeah, I work. I always. And what do you I, What are you doing now? Man, I feel I feel shy saying it because it's not a really cool job. Um, I was a bike messenger for years, but when I moved back to California, I started doing uh, construction again, framing. And, and at the moment, because I, I wasn't able to work full time uh, in the construction while doing this, I'm just doing Uber. Okay. Well, that's an easy, easy job for, you know, uh, or at least a job you can work around your schedule. Easily, exactly. Like right? that's, that's kind of what I needed. I needed something that I was like going to be able to like take the time. And so like my trade is normally like I've, I've done construction for years and that, that was like, I'm a framer and, you know, redo kitchens and bathrooms and tiling and stuff like that like that's what i do kind of but um yeah i i'm trying to to shift that and still find my way for work um so in that i'm just trying to do the uh uber eats what has it been like now um managing your time between mesmer jump street podcast driving for uber skating and just life in general you feel feel overwhelmed at all or yeah, no, I mean, I'm as it's, it's, I gotta be honest. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a tough year because it is, everything is pretty demanding. It's hard to make the time for the things that I need to make time for and like the, the income-based things that I need. Um, and I'm, I'm planning, a, I'm also planning a wedding this year. So I'm starting a business. I'm starting, uh, we're launching Mesmer where we've launched our LLC and heavy distribution um, we're planning a wedding for in April. Um, Congratulations. Um, thank you. My brother's getting married a few months after that. I'm his best man. So I'm planning his bachelor party. It's busy. Uh, like it's, it's been actually like a little overwhelming at times, but I'm just, it's, it's not stressful because I'm at a place where like, I'm really happy with what we're doing. And I, I see 
this glimmering light at the end of the tunnel that I haven't been able to see in in like whatever efforts I've made in skating for a long time. And that little light at the end of the tunnel for me just represents the potential of what can be. So for me, I like, I'm just, yeah, I, I'm happy to, to, to spend the time working on it. And I'm, I'm more, I'm more excited for the opportunity to, to rise to the occasion versus like overwhelmed. Like it's more, I'm just, I'm it's, it's like giving me energy though, everything, you know? So I had one question going back to your entire career in skating. What point in your skating did you feel like you were at your prime? That's a good question because I think in terms of physically 21, 22, 23, like mind game, ego, like in terms of what I was willing to do and could achieve mentally, I think in my thirties, um, just be, and I think I've still yet to get there because skating continues to evolve. So I'm still being inspired all the time and thinking of new ways to, to engage in skating, uh, as a, as a student, but, um, off new skating nowadays. Well, we have, we have like a guaranteed once a week at Sunday brunch, but I think like two times a week, maybe three. I, it's literally what my body allows because like my shoulder problem has, has cleared up, but I have like these other like knee and ankle problems that like some days are good. Some days are bad. So some like, and sometimes like I won't be able to skate, but I'll just like put on my skates and skate around with everyone because like, I won't let not being able to skate on my knee, keep me from like being at the session or skate, skating. Right. So I'll just like, which is something I had to learn too, like, to just basically like drop all expectations of yourself and just enjoy rolling around, which is pretty sweet actually. And I recommend it, but yeah. Um, once or twice a week. So, uh, what skaters today inspire you in skating? Man, I am, well, Dominic, the Mesmer guys, um, but, but more than that, yeah, but you know, Alex Broskow, um, John Bellino. I, I, well, I think, okay, I'm going to say Dominic a lot because I, I see Dominic as like a Dustin Latimer-ish type figure in terms of like Dustin, when he did his thing, he was opening up doors into how you can skate like especially during his shadow quality years, he's like, you can do all of this too. We don't just have to skate down rails and gaps. You, you can do this. So I see Dominic opening doors like that, like with his, how he approaches skating. So for me, I like, I'm inspired by that. I'm inspired by like just Parker Richardson. Like I'm, I'm inspired by like the, the young guys who are kind of like, fuck the old guys. Like, I love that. Like, I know a lot of the old guys don't like that. Like, um, but I like it because it, it's like, it's youth. That's what youth is. Right. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, fuck the old way. It's this way, you know? So um, I, li I like that. And I, I, I'm inspired by how they're coming at it because I think, you know, we've had, the older generation has had this to kind of like, it's gotta be a hammer. It's gotta be fucking gnarly <laughs> or whatever. And these guys are just way more confident, I think, than us and taking risks 
and being playful in a way to explore skating that I don't think we had the the slack to do at the time. We were getting hated on so much by all these other sports. We were like, please, we're gnarly. Please don't call us fruit booters. Like, look at the big things we're doing. I feel like we were like overcompensating, like maybe with like, or maybe that was just the natural progression of skating. But I feel like that was a big part of it. And these kids nowadays, they don't give a shit if you call them a fruit booter or not. They don't care like if what they're doing, like they're experimenting and that's cool. In order to experiment, you have to like take a risk looking silly. Like you have to take a risk looking vulnerable and they'll try some ideas and they're experimenting with that ideas. They're playing with ideas that I, I think originally stemmed from maybe the mushroom blading guys like Todd and Joey, but those ideas are starting to be like implemented on like a, a more defined way, like where it's, it's, it's coming into its own and, and then, yeah, there's all the, this experimentation still. So yeah, like Dom, uh, Levy, um, I love the up to no good guys, everyone in up to no good, that whole crew from like Long Beach in LA. Um, it kind of reminds me of like the live from New York vibes back in the day in New York, just like a sick crew of people just skating. And um, Moopy is really sick, Sean Keen is an amazing skater uh cam Ta these guys are like all my you know the cobran brothers taylor jimmy john vasugi you know just like i mean and i know some of those guys aren't the younger guys but i think they're implementing uh just like the new way in their skating really well you know back in the 2000s i feel like a lot of people were out there to prove themselves Yes, And they weren't necessarily enjoying skating or going out to have fun or just have a fun session. It was all about proving themselves, getting a clip, doing a hammer, trying to be a pro. Do you think people are having more fun skating now, like the new kids, than the people who were young back in the early 2000s did? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, we were all on some, like, hero blader thing back in the day. We just wanted to prove to ourselves. And, and look, there is fun in that. Like, I'm not here, and I don't think anyone should, uh, I'm not here to define what skating is right or what it should be. Like, this is the way, because this is fun. That was stupid, because that was just a hammer, and you just didn't put much thought behind it. You get different things out of skating, you know? that You get stuff out of that, like, hero blading. There's, you prove something to yourself. You overcome fears. Like, you, that's, maybe in the midst of the act, you're not, having the most enjoyable experience while doing it. But once you've achieved it, it's just like any accomplishment that's rewarding. And I think um, that all of the, I think, I think there's just more options out there now that's still there. You that's still available. And, and there are going to be days where people might want to access that feeling or test themselves in that way. But no, I do think it's more people are having more fun. They're being more playful. Um, I learned a lot from Dennis Lopez when we had him on our podcast on Jump Street, when he was saying that he saw skating back in the day, like around like my era kind of stuff. And he was like, oh, that's kind of crazy. It's not my thing. It didn't seem like accessible or fun. So it wasn't attractive to him. And then like years later, I think he saw something where he saw some murder who was like, you know, ripping up some ledges and having fun. And I think that's a big part of something that you know, we neglected a lot of things during that era where we were on the hero blading. We neglected like the accessibility. We neglected the encouraging aspects. Even if you look at like the old videos, hoax two, that uh, my first video that I watched, you know, they have some like big tricks that I definitely wasn't able to do, but they had like, 
they mix up like a, there would be like a fakey 360 in like on a stair, like three stairs or four stairs in that. And I was like, I can do that. I can be in this video. I'm going to push myself to skate. So it's like those showing that it's a, that it's not just like this thing that's so out of reach. It's like this playful thing that we can all enjoy. And you could even enjoy it. Like maybe you buy some skates, you might be able to do it your first day on skates. You might be able to enjoy this stuff. And I agree with you on that hundred percent. Um, you know, making videos back in the day, I'm definitely guilty of helping foster that culture. Um, yeah, me too. <laughs> but back then, you know, obviously you didn't even think about that. You know, it was all about like, what people want to, you know, I mean, you're assuming what people want to see, at least a core group, but extending that to, you know, a wider audience wasn't really, you know, our, in our thought process. No, I, we're very like, and, and that's something we've been very like mono viewed for a long time. We're like, where, oh, you're calling us fruit booters. We're going to show every single effort in our skating to show that that's not the case. We're going to put our bodies at risk. We're going to be gnarly. We're going to try to skate the bigger spots. And whether skateboarding admits so or not, um, where they are now in, in terms of how far they've come, they 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 can thank us uh, to some extent because we were really trying to make a gap. I mean, I know I was a, a gap between their ability to, of spots, what they could skate and what we can skate to just make that distinction of like, we're different. Like we're not doing the same thing. Like we get compared, but we're different. And they've looked at some of the spots we've done and can we do this on a skateboard? I mean, they, like I said, they might not maybe openly admit it, but we've all influenced each other in this. Right. You know, you were saying earlier how some of the new kids, you know, they don't mind being called a fruit mood or whatever. Yeah. But I also think that they didn't experience the extent of it that most skaters experienced back in the day. I mean, just going Agreed. to a bar, you know, every bar yeah. you went to, you're like, oh, I rolled, but oh, that's blah, blah. You know, there was some negative. So all, everyone had something negative to say, and it's not like that anymore. And they grew up at a different time. So that's a good thing. I mean, I mean, I know for, for me, when I was going to, we didn't have this as much in New York. There wasn't that much of that going on in New York, to be honest. But there were, it, it did start coming into New York when gentrification started happening, to be real. When people from California started coming to New York, they started bringing that like blade hating energy, but it wasn't like that in old, in old New York. It really wasn't. But um, yeah, I used to go to the skate park and be prepared to fight because uh, I, would, I would go to the skate park and not even like enjoy my skating. I would just skate as fast as I can doing back rails with my chest poked out. And if anyone wanted to say some shit, I was ready because there was like, we felt like we were like trying to represent on all levels for skating. Like they hate on us. We're going to show them that we can rip hard and that will fuck them up if they want to. Um, that's incredible that the kids don't have to worry about that uh, these days because yeah, we got really hated on really hard. And I see a lot of skaters being stupid and hating on scooters like it's like are you stupid like you did you like that when it happened to you yeah it's exactly like, the same thing so it's like I, I don't i i i think we have an opportunity to not to not do that and we shouldn't do it and I, it's cool to see like a lot of that is going away and i'm glad because they shouldn't have to deal with that that shit when we're at the skate park and trying to have fun and enjoy your life man it's not about that
So I'm happy that that's dying. On a more positive note, what was your proudest moments in your career? Hmm, good question. That's tough to say. Uh, mind game was huge. Um, Shane asked me to be on mind game. And then he said, okay, um, now everyone has to vote um, to see if you're on or not. So Shane wanted murder on mind game. And in order to be on mind game, there needs to be a unanimous vote. Um, murder, someone voted against Mike. So he, after talking to Shane, he wanted to make him pro. Someone voted against, he wasn't on. Shane talked to me, said he wanted me to be on mind game pro. He went to go take the vote. Two weeks later, of like, I looked up to all these, all I wanted to be was on mind game. Two weeks later, he calls me and he's like, heard back from everyone except Aaron. Everyone has said yes so far, just waiting on Aaron. So I'm like, Jesus, man, I'm waiting two weeks for like this whole thing already. And now I don't know what Aaron's gonna say. And I feel like Aaron's like the most hard-nosed one of the bunch. Like he's probably gonna be like, no. Um, but they said yes. And then I got an email. This is uh, in, in, my, in my AOL email from every person on the team. Dustin Latimer, who was like uh, the probably the person I looked up to the most in skating ever, like in terms of their skating, in terms of who the character, the persona, there was no one I looked up to more than him. Him, um, Aaron, Farmer, Brian Aragon, all sent me messages welcoming me to the team. And they're all personal, like little things that hey, if we had drinks, then cheers. Welcome to the team, blah, blah, blah. And everyone said welcome in their own way. And that was a really proud moment for me um, because I was being accepted by like the people who I looked up to the most and into their thing. I was like, that's probably still my proudest moment in in all the skating, I think. I that's mean, a just really like, good moment. Yeah. <laughs> Belated congratulations on getting on my game. Thanks. <laughs> you know, as, as many like to point out to me, uh, when I say something like that, they're like, well, it was after like the cool years, like you weren't in words or brain fear gone. I'm like, yeah, dude, I know, I know, I get it. The, the, the epic ones were before me, but still, come on. Like, let me, let me own that a little bit. I have a few questions about Jump Street. And my first question is, how did Jump Street come about? How did you and Austin decide you're gonna start a podcast and interview skaters from all around the world? Yeah, it started just like Mesmer started. It started just like the New York City competition this invitational started i was like we don't have this in our industry how come we don't have this why is nobody doing this the only podcast we have are audio there's no video podcasts that was it like and i was like and it's just like the same with the competition like when, when and i'm not trying to be like oh this is why i did but we did one of the reasons why i wanted to do the competitions i would always bitch about competitions i was like they're not doing it right they're not doing it right they're missing an opportunity here. This competition sucks. And then there's a, there's a certain point when you complain where you're like, all right, either stop, do something about it or stop complaining. There, it comes a line there. And so that's what started with the, with the podcast. And it was, it was the same with the contest, but it's also the same with the podcast. I was like, we don't have this. How can we don't have this? Every other fucking thing has it. Biking has it. Skateboarding has it. They have the nine club. How can we, wh wh why are we always behind? Like, how come we can't do this shit? And I was like, fuck it, we'll do it. 
let's do it, man. Like Austin, like I was in New York at the time. I was like, you got all these cameras and shit, right? What, what do we need for mics? Like what, we can get mics, we can get guests. We can find guests, we have friends. I will right, we'll figure it out. And then we just like, when we started, I was like, all right, cool. If we're going to start, let's just commit to 50 episodes. Let's not do like five and then we just like get lazy and it's over. Like, do you know what I mean? Let's do at least 50. We'll commit to it. We'll shake on it and we'll see where it goes. Um, we're at, we just did our 112th episode the other day with Joey Lunger. Um, we've had so many guests that I forget we have guests on. People are like, have you had this person on? I'm like, I don't know. Oh yeah, we did. Like, so it's, it's, it's getting to that point of like a lot of people. And, and it's weird because we thought we were going to run out at like a hundred. Cause was, and we're like, oh my God, this can, this will never end. There's always going to be someone to do this with. And there's always going to be, and I feel like we're at the point now where we might have to even start doubling some because we, some of the podcasts we've done are like three years old at this point. And a lot's happened in three years, you know, definitely follow-ups is, uh, you know, to see what's happened since the last interview. I've even, you know, I mean, um, some of the guys I interviewed were after their interviews on Jump Street. So I try to follow up on what you guys talked to since then, you know, I mean, I've done the same with, uh, I've done the same with people on other podcasts. Like when, if we have a guest on who I might not know everything about, I'll try to listen to their podcasts on other podcasts. I listened to, uh, uh, who did I listen to? I listened to uh, Wax Toaster. I was listening to Parker's before we had him on. I was also listening, there, there, there was a few, um, Wheel Scene. I, I listened to a few before and, and, and it, it's good. Yeah, like, you know, and, and, and that's the thing with like our, I always said with, with the, we started Jump Street, like it's not here. We don't have this. And what well, we did, I, don't, I hope I didn't say I started Jump Street. We started Jump Street, but with the, the, oh, it's not here. We don't have this. Now there's a lot. And what would be great. I mean, I don't, I don't think, look, I want to do this as long as I can, but I also think there's something poetic about like, starting some shit because it's needed and then being like oh it's good now and then not needing to do it do you know what i mean um i i would be stoked at one point if we could like oh we're done with jump street and we don't need to worry about that it's taken care of sick on to the next thing um but i also want to do jump street for for a long time i like jump street you know what i mean i i like um i learn a lot i like i'm like i said like the, the whole core of everything is like, I'm a fan first. I was a fan when I saw my first video, I'm still a fan. I still geek out watching skate videos. I like still have favorite skaters. I still like look up to certain way people do things like, and they're sometimes they're 15 or 20 years younger than me. And I'm like, wow, that's, I'm looking up to this younger kid, like in this way. But um yeah, I just, I just like talking skating. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely very cool to connect with so many different skaters from so many different backgrounds. And like you said, learn a lot. Um, it's also a good way for you to promote Mesmer. You know, you've got your own platform. Yeah, you, you know, I, I got to say with with Mesmer, it was like, and I think that's like the, the when in October when the company had approached me, I think that was like part of their thinking uh, with, with, uh, that we had Jump Street and that being like a, a tool in promotion. Yeah, it is. And uh, I, I wouldn't want to, I mean, for me, it's important to keep the things separate. You know what I mean? I think I don't want there to be like bias in, in my thing. Like, um, 
like oh it's we're just gonna do mesmer guests and mesmer this and that. no like i want to keep that separate this is also me and austin's thing like it's not my thing that i get to abuse and just like kind of like uh but yeah you know you gotta acknowledge those things like i I, I reach out to to Biz and and Brandon and uh, Tom Moixi. That's I'm I'm sorry, Tom, if I'm not saying your last name properly. It's a lot of consonants in there, but um, you know, I've reached out to them, and I I would like to, and I think all companies should, if they're gonna be doing things in skating, reach out to the media sources. Like, reach out to if hey, if you're gonna do a competition, if you're gonna launch a wheel company, if you're gonna like launch a skate company, if you're gonna like do anything reach out to us. We'll talk about it. We're a news show. We're a media show. We want to like, we're here to like promote and enrich and give current events and skating. So I think anyone should, should do that with their brand. Um, yeah. With the channel, you've also been doing some like how to's and different, you know, and like, a going back to some old spots you've done. Do you guys have, uh, have you talked about doing any other type of shows on the channel? Okay, so like a lot of that stuff uh, developed naturally, like the inside outs is like, yeah, again, like we just noticed like a lot of the stuff we just notice a lack of. We're just like, this isn't here. So we should, so like, yeah, like, man, I wish that we should do trick chips. Remember Aaron Feinberg's video, like uh, ride like Aaron, stuff like this. Let's Let's get more comprehensive about it. Let's get more in depth. Versus just roll up at a regular speed, bend your knees, jump, slide away, uh, throw up West Side or whatever it was in like boot camp, like you know. But it's um, yeah, it was just like let's put out the tools because like again, like uh, the Jump Street thing. Look, if you start a podcast and you're like, "Yo, we're gonna make a lot of money," that's crazy because you. It's I mean that that's like it's not crazy, but it's just something that we certainly didn't start thinking we were going to make a cent like, you know, but we've had support through our Patreon. We appreciate it. And we've been, we've got a sponsor for our, we were sponsored by blank and we were sponsored by uh, other companies as well. Um, Intuition sponsored us. And so uh, again, we didn't start with wanting to like make any money or do anything like that, but um, we just saw what way can we help grow our culture? And we th saw that as a way. We see the inside out, the how-tos as a way to communicate information to people who might find roadblocks in their skating. Um, we do the three piece is just because we'll have like some of our guests in town and we skate with them. So, hey, why don't we film like three tricks with them? Uh, the section things, we thought something to offer for our, our Patreon guys. Um, and for in terms of what we're doing that could be new, um, Austin was talking about top tip. It was something that came uh, on just like the podcast like the other day organically, I think episode 111, but it's just like a tip of how to arrange your skates, a tip of how to do something, a tip of something that could be beneficial in any way. And we're open, we're trying to think of new things always. I mean, we, we work with the time that we have but yeah, we're just trying to find ways to make it more engaging and interactive. And uh, if anyone has any, any ideas, let us know or do them yourself and, and show us and then we'll promote it on our channel. Um, but that's another thing about the podcast. Like, you know, we're not, I, like, like I was just saying before, I wanna see five big podcasts, six, 10, like, you know what I mean? Just like more, the better. I don't wanna see, 
and no offense to all the other companies right here. I'm not trying to, to drag you down. I don't want to see them and Mesmer be like the only like, whoa, happening brands. Like, you know, I want to see everyone be a freaking happening brand because that might not benefit me directly in the short term, but we're thinking long-term, you know, we're, I'm, I want to see where blading goes in 10, 20, 30, you know, and the, the more, the more we have, the better, I think, as long as it's good. Is there anyone on your wish list that you haven't had on the show yet that you really want to talk with? Yes. And who's that? Ty Chris. Ty Chris. Have you tried yes. to connect with him? Uh, it's been hard. I've, I've had some people, he, he's a really tough guy to get a hold of. That guy has been doing this inline skating before inline skating. He was doing it on quads. He was, um, with all due respect to the Godfather, the airman, Chris Edwards, front flipping over cars in dare to air. Uh, Ty Chris was front flipping over three cars and quads before that. Like, do you know what I mean? It, the, the early days footage of him watching it develop and what he's done with skating is, it's just so fascinating. Um, Dustin Latimer is, I would love to have Dustin Latimer on. I saw Shane Coburn at, the blading cup and i asked him and he i think said no in the nicest way possible dustin latimer also said no in the nicest way possible um i think those three there's there's obviously more brooke howard smith tom fry it's a good um, list yeah um definitely want tom fry i mean Dion anthony um that would be a good one too. The entire Australia. I mean, and another problem that happens in the podcast that I run into is there's a language barrier. You know, I would love to have Soichido on or something like that. Or uh, even having Mark on, he was really unsure, Mark Moreno, about his his English. And um, if and so there, there are these people like I would love, you know, Moopy on. Or we asked Sven Bokers to be on. He's not confident in his English. Uh, and he's got such great English. That's what I, th I said. But I, I think when you have a different, like when you're in this kind of intimate format where you're like discussing things in context and in depth, it's maybe you might feel like you don't have the tools to be as expressive as you want to be. Maybe you need some translators. No, we were actually talking about, because Mark was talking about there's so many Spanish speaking skaters like the latin american skating scene is huge from like spain to south america to mexico cuba puerto rico dominican republic and so on that it would be cool if we could just like, get our show translated <laughs> like do you know what i mean in spanish or you could learn spanish and so like I, I can get by in Spanish, but I also have like a second grade level of Spanish, but I, I can speak Spanish, but I don't think it would serve the American viewers better. And I would be at a crossroads where the other guys are in English, where they can get by, but they're not expressing their truest thoughts. Like, well, you if know. you could get the Spanish subtitles on your yeah. show, that would be fantastic because he's correct. I mean, I you know do research a lot of the skate scenes around the world and south america i mean there's countries in south america that have more skaters than you know all the u.s yeah and a fraction of size it's insane in south america to be honest like i've only been down there one time but they this the skating they, they, they got like a secret little bubble down there of so many skaters from chile to argentina brazil colombia ecuador 
And but those places, it's really hard for them to get skates. So that's another thing that we're gonna try to do with Mesmer. Mm -hmm. So like um, last year around this time, Austin and I did a donate and skate on Jump Street. We had people, we had two locations, we in one in New York and one in Long Beach, California, where people were able to come and give skates for those who were less fortunate for the holidays. And then we did a fundraiser into which we had money to ship the skates. We shipped some skates to Nigeria. We shipped some skates to Philippines. We shipped some skates to Argentina that did not make it, which sucks. We sent some skates to uh, South Central LA and we sent uh, two pairs of skates to Iran. Now, I want to get to a point where every year we have 20 to 40 skates. We just send there. We don't have to do the donating skate anymore. Oh, we're doing a skate company. Cool. Who needs skates? Sweet. Send them out. So I, I want to work with uh, just use Jump Street as just the place to be able to broadcast some of these ideas and re get, out, get out to people about, hey, like, you know, where who needs skates how can we do this because like skating this thing it's we need to feed it to have it be and i'm just trying to like like i said i don't you know i think the good thing about a lot of skaters i think a lot of skaters are used to working for nothing so like i don't mind just like trying to like feed it and feed it and feed it and get nothing uh from it like you know um in the, in the early days but i want to see us be at a place in in 10 years where i feel like we should be i've seen a lot of people you know, around the world, do, you know, get skates together to send out. And it would be, I've all thought that that's a great concept, but everybody should be working together. Somebody really needs to start like a nonprofit that's like oversees the whole global effort of this, like, I agree, you know, and, and I all thought it'd be nice to have like a resource website in skating that can tell people what to do. Like if they want to start like a night skate, like how to do it and how to start like a contest or yes. how to start a YouTube channel, like a resource site. Yes. Um, it's also a lot of work, you know, but if you have a lot of people involved with it that have their, you know, can contribute their skills, it would help the sport grow. That's a fantastic idea. And I, and I honestly, I, I approached a couple of people about this because, you know, Miguel, Miguel Ramos, he does, uh, he had Caminas for a while that was getting kids in, on skates and in Puerto Rico and teaching kids how to skate. Uh, John Julio with, uh, I, I, I can't, it, the name escapes me at the moment, but with them, he had like a donation program where they were like getting skates out to people and other places. They got some skates out to Nigeria and they focused their energy on like helping certain people. And they, and the they, community project, the community, right? pro yeah. Yeah, the, yeah, the community mm -hmm. project. Okay. So that's the one. Um, so yeah, like, and those things, and you know, I, I approached John Julio back in the day, like, no, maybe it was a few years ago, but I was like, we need a board of directors in skating. I know they attempted to do something like this during the RFCC contest back in the day. And they would have these media contests and it was kind of like a, a, a compilation of like Andy and other people that are like business owners in the in industry and industry leaders in an effort to kind of like get certain things done. Uh, I think you could like trim the fat on that a little bit and just have people that are like, you know, that have these certain interests in mind. Like, you know, I, could, I, I see like Miguel, John Julio, I would like to be a part of it. Um, you know, there are some, maybe Tom Heiser, there are some people in, in Europe who are doing some, but I just think there needs to be a, a team of like efficient people that can like make impact getting certain goals done that would be hard to achieve on, on your own. So, yeah, I don't know. These are like 
just wishes. Yeah, we could, uh, you know, talk about that more outside this podcast. Yeah. Uh, definitely cool. have some ideas to share with you. Um, so, I've got, only have got a handful of questions left for you. Okay. Uh, one of those is, do you have any hobbies outside of skating and you know, outside of music? Mm. Yeah, um, I'm an I'm a avid cycler. I like riding bikes. I discovered bike riding. Everyone rides bikes, but I discovered my passion for bike riding after I was hit by a car in February 13th, 2008 in Spain. And doctors were basically saying, probably not gonna be able to use my ankle in the same way again, might not be able to skate again, blah, 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 blah. I had to go through surgeries and this other stuff. And when I was in the, I had, a, had about 11 months where I wasn't able to do anything. And when I started going to physical therapy, they were putting me on the exercise bike to, to fix my ankle, to get range of motion in it. So part of my physical therapy was they had me on the exercise bike, like 10 minutes or 15 minutes a day. And so I just saw the bike as a way to getting me back on skates faster. And I was like, oh, if I ride more bike, I can get on skates quicker. So I just really fell into like love riding bikes in 2008. Um, and I eventually became a bike messenger and I took some long distance rides. I rode from Boston to New York. More recently, I just rode from Long Beach to San Diego. I've done a couple centuries, uh, which are centuries are 100 plus mile bike rides. Um, so I like that. I find that to be like meditational and it keeps me healthy in a way that I find enjoyable. I, running is not fun for me. I hate running, but I, I love hate riding. running too. <laughs> I love riding the bike because you just get to go so fast and, and especially in New York city, like cutting in and out of traffic. I just like the excitement and all that. Um, but you were hit yeah. by, you were hit by a car on your bike recently too, right? Yeah. In 2018. Mm -hmm. 10 years after you're getting hit Ten by the car. 10 years. You got hit yeah. by a car again. Yeah, it was stupid. I mean, I like, I have like, uh, I have an impulse problem. <laughs> like, I'm very like impulsive, which serves me well in some areas, but not so well in the other areas. And I like to race bikes and I like to like go through traffic and my fiance doesn't like that. And I've been having to be smarter with it lately because I don't want to worry anyone sick. So I'm smarter when I ride nowadays, but I still like, I, I love riding. I like, uh, you know, drumming has been a huge part of my life since before I ever put on a pair of skates, I had drumsticks in my hand. Um, and yeah, I, I think, am I boring now? Yeah, I think I'm pretty boring now. I don't have many, I, I, I love my dogs. I walk my dogs and, um, me and my fiance like to go on nice bike rides too, but yeah, yeah it's adult stuff. Adult, the older I get, the like the less gnarly it seems. Like I'm just chilling out. So someone told me that that your name is actually Will. It's William. William. Okay. Yeah. And then Billy is short. Yeah, William Edward O'Neill, very Irish uh, of a name. It's um, I have no freaking idea why how you get Billy out of that. I don't know how you get Dick out of Richard. I don't know how Bobby out of Robert. I don't. I don't get. I don't get it. I don't know what's happening, but it's been. It was really tough because when I started getting checks and skating, like even like a hundred bucks from Razors, it'd say Billy O'Neill. I'd go to the bank and they wouldn't be able to cash it for me. I'd be like, Oh my god, can he? Can you write William on the checks? I don't know. I have no idea, but it didn't do me any favors. Have you changed your name legally, or are you still William? I'm still William. I like. I like. My grandma calls me Will. Um, so like, 
uh, yeah, just my grandma calls me Will still. So like Will is like, you know, William is a, you know, a, a name that's like very old and it's in the Bible and it's, it crosses over from Germanic languages to Latin languages. You know, you got William, Wilhelm, Liam, uh, Guillermo, Guige. Um, so like, these are all different like iterations of the name William, but, um, yeah, I think Billy might be the just Irish take on William. I don't know. I, I got to look into it more. So my last question for you is you've traveled around the world in your career and when everything's said and done here in the, you know, 20, 30 years, where do you want to retire? Do you have a place in mind for your future? Mm -hmm. Yes. Spain. I love Spain. Um, I love the language. I like the people. I like speaking Spanish. It makes me think. Um, I like the stress-free lifestyle. I like the affordability. Um, America's a very strange place. Uh, there, there's a lot of things that you can get here that you can't get other places, but there are some things that you just don't have to deal with in other places. Like, for example, when I was in Spain, I didn't uh, have to use my ID once for a beer because they looked at my face and they apply common sense. In America, they send cops into stores to hopefully trick the store owner into selling them beer so they can arrest them and then hit them with a $10,000 fine. So you can go to a store anywhere and be 50 and they'll, they're gonna ask you for your ID because there's liability things. Uh, there's a lot of liability in lawsuits and and weird things. You know, we have, we have bait cars here. Like it's like almost like the government's like against you in a certain way. I don't want to get too deep on, on philosophy, but I just find that the uh, way of life is less stressful. Um, I, I like seeing people not abuse alcohol, but enjoy a beer at noon uh, on the beach without like having it, drinking it in the American way where we just like, you know, just drink ourselves into a coma. Um, yeah, Spain. Spain is a beautiful place. Close second is New Orleans. I love New Orleans. That's like the opposite of Spain. For me, it's just music and food. The food is fantastic. But the food's fantastic in Spain, too. Yeah, exactly. But I have a better argument of convincing my fiance to she does not would never live in New Orleans. But Spain, I got that. We're in Spain. Um by Mark. Okay, <laughs> no, so kidding. Barcelona. <laughs> Barcelona probably on the outskirts, or maybe like uh I don't know. It's it's probably like some countryside, to be honest. Like the older I get, the less I need a city. I just need some space for the dogs. And uh, yeah, so somewhere outside of Barcelona is is a dream. That's something I would like to do. So well, I we'll hope see. that happens for you. That'd be really Thanks. cool. Me too. Well, hey, Billy, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me today. Thanks. And I look forward to the video dropping, which will be out by time this video comes out. So I'll have a link for it in the description below. And you have the AM team you'll be announcing what over the next couple of weeks? Yep. So keep your eyes on the Mesmer Instagram page and you'll see all the new AM riders. So thanks a lot, Billy. It's great talking to you. Hopefully I'll talk to you soon and actually see you in real life. Well, that was by far the longest interview I've done yet on this channel. It was really interesting. We found out pretty much everything you want to know about Mesmer and Jump Street and Billy himself. So very interesting, lots of insight. Lots of cool information. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure and hit the like button. Don't forget to subscribe to this channel and hit the bell icon to be notified of all new uploads. If you want to support this channel, see more shows like this, visit our Patreon page in the links below or the donation page. All your support will help me provide more content in the future. 
Thanks for watching this episode of the Then Now Blading interview series and podcast. I will see you next time here on the YouTube channel and on the podcast if you're listening that way. Take care. Goodbye.